Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Rebel Guru Radio with best-selling spiritual author Eric Pepin. Season 2, Higher Balance Classics, Timeless Teachings. Rebel Guru Radio is sponsored by Cramp Medic, the most powerful cramp fighting supplement on the market. I think it's an excellent product. I can honestly say for myself, and this is of course uh, difficult to say because it's coming from me, but I hope you take my word on it. I don't think there's anything out there better than Cramp Medic for leg cramps. I used to get them on a near daily basis, maybe every couple days. I know that uh, when I had my motorcycle or bicycle, uh, my legs would be the worst. I would wake up in the middle of the night in pain. Uh, there have been times where I've thought about, maybe I should go to the emergency room. Since I've used Cramp Medic, I probably use one serving and I will not have to reach into using this again probably for two, two and a half weeks. That is more than double what I felt was the recommended like once for every seven days. That's how effective it is. I do think that people need to use it for two to three times to build up somehow in your in your system. We have mainly all positive reviews. Apple cider vinegar is what is going to reduce, you know, acid buildup in your muscle tissue very rapidly. Cayenne pepper is going to expand your capillaries to move that blood into those tight cramping muscles that just do not want to let blood in there to soften it. It is very, very effective. It is going to get in there. Electrolytes very fast. It's going to do the job. It's just a great product. And that's what I have to say about it. Crampmedic.com. The other thing I wanted to say is the Higher Balance Institute store, HBI, or higherbalance.com. We've worked very hard at reducing and slashing the pricing, trying to keep it as a mainstay price forum. Uh, People have said over the years it's too expensive for them and they can't afford it. Uh, I don't know what the next excuse is going to be because it is extremely affordable. Um, We're doing our best to do that. Having Cramp Medic, finding other stuff to maneuver around so we can keep this thing going uh, has allowed us to bring those prices down. Uh, We do have a lot, a lot of material, a lot of classes that are really excellent, I feel. you know, going probably for several dollars, some of those classes. Uh, probably at least 70, 80% off of what we charge, maybe even more. Uh, one thing we may do is maybe change around in the store, like uh, uh, bi-monthly or something, which modules we're offering, because there's so many, I think people get lost in it. So if there is something you want, I strongly suggest you grab it before we start moving it around, but it will come available again. It just may take six months to a year before the, all those other ones start arriving. Uh, back for availability and we're going to start taking down some probably to try to keep some organization to just the the bulk of uh information here which i'm very proud of um so that's what i have to say in that please check out higher balance institute uh you know or higherbalance.com and uh support higher balance please get uh try out uh cramp medic for family friends anybody who has leg muscle problems or any kind of muscle problems in particular it it truly is the best product out there. No foams, no creams. You don't have to run to the bathroom if you're working at the office to put on foams on your leg by pulling on your pants and trying to get to your legs. Uh, No need for tablets. One shot, seven days, phenomenal. If you are interested in acquiring Eric Pepin's books, visit higherbalancebooks.com.
whatever ghosts, spirits, entities, dimensional beings, I'm going to do the best that I can to give you the most extensive amount of information. Some people have asked me as a spiritual teacher, what is the relevance of entities which kind of fall under the paranormal, ghosts, spirits, etc., versus someone who is spiritual, someone who meditates or seeks to find higher consciousness? My answer to that is, although it falls more towards a paranormal level, it is dealing with directly life after death, who or what you will be when you leave your body. But most of all, I would say one of the most difficult things for a person to release themselves, to have the best meditation they can, once they've gone through a variety of different experiences, there is always something that boils down to the final greatest release to hit what we call the highest levels or to experience God fully or to attain enlightenment, true enlightenment, full enlightenment. And that is the question of life and death. We're afraid to die. We're afraid to let go of our physical bodies. And because we're afraid to let go of our physical bodies, somewhere in the deeper subconscious, no matter how much we want to tell ourselves we're capable of doing it, we can't. Or at least most people can't. Your fear could be several different things. One is if you leave your body... I'll never get back. And this is what you may be thinking subconsciously or what I suspect most people are thinking. So you can experience a large variety of experiences, but in the end, in the deeper psyche of your mind, there's that fear of death. And that's the deepest ingrained sense that I think all human beings have, no matter what culture you're from. When we talk about spirits and entities and ghosts, we learn. And through learning comes understanding, and through understanding comes liberation. We're not so afraid anymore. If we have an understanding of what these things are and why they do what they do and why hauntings seem to be spooky or evil or bad, by thinking about or understanding what a haunting is, meaning spooky or what falls under possibly evil, the point is is that I think a lot of these things are misunderstood. By having a greater understanding of these things, we remove fear. By removing fear, we remove the vices in the deeper parts of our subconscious that limit us from greater experiences. We have less fear or less fear of death because we understand death, and we look at it different. It's funny. When I say death, we think, oh, you know, that's life and death. That's the end. And when we talk ghosts or spirits, immediately we accept this other kind of paradigm or difference of where there's these living beings that don't have physical bodies. But we don't equate the two that there's this medium between the two that's the bridge. We see ourselves as dying, but yet we believe in ghosts. But we fear death because we fear is there anything afterwards, but yet we do believe in ghosts. So there is something afterwards. It's this paradigm that's very you know perplexing if you really think about it. We should not be afraid of the unknown. We need to understand what it is. That's the point. Let's start off by talking about what are ghosts. Are ghosts real? I remember when I was very young, probably eight or nine years old, my family on my father's side were having kind of a seance. 
they were doing what is called free handwriting. It's kind of like a Ouija board, but you use a pen and paper and you put the alphabet on there and numbers and you kind of draw this like cross on there. And are there any spirits here? And everybody's kind of in this thing. And I remember not being allowed to kind of be part of it, but my father being very open to this, letting me sit in the background observing. I recall them saying out loud, you know, if there are any spirits here, make yourself known. And they're kind of having this spooky kind of vibe and the candlelight going. And it must have been dusk because I remember the house having light. I recall looking across the room and seeing this illuminated kind of, I recall it as being like a purple or a blue or something, kind of hovering over by like the stove in, in the house. It seemed to me that nobody else seemed to be very aware of what was going on. They were very focused. And I remember pointing this out to either my father or my aunt. They all jumped when they realized and everybody kind of moved <laughs> very quickly to a different part of the kitchen area. I recall kind of just like moving by the staircase or wherever I was kind of closer and really just being very fascinating at this illumination that was kind of there. I recall uh, either my father or an aunt or something saying something to the effect of give us a sign or something like that. And I thought to myself, well, how is it seeing my father? How is it seeing the people in this room? It doesn't have eyes. It doesn't have ears, you know, eardrums to hear with. And it doesn't have lungs, so it can't go, well, gee, uh, such and such, let me tell you what's up. It always perplexed me how people always interpreted ghosts as being these table-wrapping, talking entities, telling people, you know, get out of the house and, and all of this. And, and over the years, I've often reflected on that memory. And if, as I became more articulated and studied it more and investigated these things more, I mean, I've come to realize certain things that what we think are hauntings aren't hauntings at all. What we don't realize are entities. Most of the time, we're not even aware that they're around us. So this opens up a, a huge door. So the bottom line is an entity can't see you because it doesn't have eyes or eye cones. It doesn't see light the way we do. It's, it's very different. It's not to say it doesn't see, but it certainly does not see in the same wavelengths or the same vibrations or the same way we interpret our physical dimension. It's from light reflecting back on our eyes. It doesn't have the ability to hear sound the way we're talking. Imagine underwater how sound changes. It is sound, but it sounds distorted. Well, an entity or is made of energy. It's not really physical matter as we are. When you assume that it's hearing you, it's an assumption and it's a crude assumption at that. It's to say that it doesn't have eardrums for sound to reverberate off of. So it can't possibly hear you talking to it or at least not in the format that we understand. It's the same thing. It's not going to go, boo, you know, or, hey, Bob, because it doesn't have lungs. It doesn't have a vocal cord. It doesn't have the ability to project sound, at least in the same manner. Now, I'm not saying they can't communicate. I'm not saying that maybe it can't speak. I've had some very interesting experiences I'll share. But the real question is, if it is doing something like that, is it a ghost? Or I would like to say that I think and believe, and in some cases know, that a lot of other things are misinterpreted as being ghost. For instance, it's to say that why couldn't it be an alien from another dimension? 
Why does it have to be physical? Why does everything have to look like us and function like us? It's so unique that because we can't interpret it, it, it might fall in our mind intellectually as it being a ghost or a spirit or something after death. And it's not at all. It's just a, it's an intelligent creature or being that's in our dimension. It's just so beyond our normal level of deciphering what it is that we kind of bunch it all into one group as ghost spirits or entities. I believe that there are multidimensional beings. I believe also that I would say 70% of cases aren't hauntings at all, period. Not entities, not ghosts, not spirits, not alien, nothing. What it is, in my opinion, from all of the explorations I've experienced is I believe, for instance, most hauntings, there's a certain truth to say that the old wise tale is that old houses have spirits or ghosts. I believe that these are actually recorded sounds in the walls. And what I make this assumption by is this. When you look at the places that hauntings seem to happen most, it's in old houses that are on the East Coast or England. Cold, damp environments largely, not all. And there's always room for special cases. As I said, these are very specific grouping for this recorded sound effect. When you look at these old houses, you'll find that the walls are made of basically slate a mortar kind of paste that has a heavy mineral base, crystallizations per se in it, and chicken wire to kind of get it to stick on there, and then they kind of rub it back and forth and smooth it out. In effect, this is a very crude, you could say, cassette tape material. In essence, I believe that when you have pressurization from weather, this is what makes a house creak. It's because the boards are bending. Well, this is energy. We don't think of it in these terms, but it's energy. If you have people who don't have television or necessarily radio, you know, we go back a little bit in time in these older houses, you have people playing cards, laughing, maybe talking, having conversations. Well, I often say like lotto, it's a million to one chance, but it happens. At the right time, at the right place, at the right moment, somebody's laughing or talking or screaming because somebody's tickling them or they're having a good time having some drinks or something. The sound is somehow recorded maybe in the hallway or in some part of the house as these walls are arching from the weather, from the cold, the damp, the heat, whatever is inducing itself on this environment. And the house records these projected sounds. Now, as weather changes and time progresses, the weather again pressurizes the house and somehow releases energy. And I believe in some crude format, it makes the sound play. Now... It's going to sound very distorted. So a laugh or somebody speaking, like somebody might say, hello, Bob, can you hand me that picture? It's going to be like, Bob, hand me the picture or something. It's going to sound very creepy to us, but it's really distorted. And I believe that if you can walk in certain angles, you might hear it, but a person standing next to you who might be in a different position may not hear it at all. This, again, gives the effect of fear and, of course, our hype and sense of we don't know what's going on. So fear creates this sensory of panic. So sound is captured in a lot of homes. I think in rare cases, even modern homes, it's captured in. I'm not saying I have it down to complete science how it works, but I truly believe that it is being recorded. Now, it reminds me of years ago, I watched a program, I believe it was on PBS, where they had a potter's wheel. And they develop what looks like a sternograph needle or what would be for a vinyl record player, but different. It's like a little wider of a needle. 
and they actually were using it on the spot and they could pick up pieces of a conversation off the pottery what they suspected was the potter having a conversation what sounded like maybe a daughter or something standing in the doorway or something and it actually recorded onto this pot in broken pieces so we know sound moves through the ear if you put your hand up you feel reverberations on a speaker if you have the right elements I believe it can record itself. So I believe that the majority of hauntings in most houses aren't truly real live entities. I believe in actuality they are recordings that are re-vocalizing themselves. You'll find in most of these cases, if you're a paranormal investigator, and it's been my experience, that people will say they hear things, but they don't really see things in most cases, which again leans towards that factor. I often think sometimes of these paranormal investigators who go to old places, like the Queen Mary. There was a, a person who went in there, and they used tape recordings. And in the tape recordings, they put in blank cassette tapes, and they let them run for two hours or whatever the length of time they can get out of them, shorter or longer. And they'll play them back, and all of a sudden, you'll hear what sounds like conversations on them. Now, maybe there's a freak chance you're picking up on radio waves or something like that. But I think in some cases, maybe there's a frequency emitting that they're also picking up on the same reverberation and it's faint. Or is this a million to one chance that the right circumstances are created to capture that? That's one particular format that I think is the majority of cases. Another point would be to say that some people will say that there were things that they were seeing or circumstances like that. And I like to add when you hear something spooky and you know there's no one in your house and you're hearing things in your house, your adrenaline is running, your senses are pumped up, your imagination's moving a mile a minute. There is a fair chance that you could create something then out of your own imagination. So I'm not saying that that's not a possibility. I'm saying sure it's a possibility. And it probably contributes to some cases hauntings. When we understand that this is a possibility, it calms us and we can look at it more rationally. And this is the idea of communicating what I'm teaching now. By the time we're done, if you ever do come across a haunting or you go to seek them out, you will have a better grasp and less panic as to what's possibly happening in, in this environment, and you'll get more information out of it. I suspect highly that many hauntings where there is visual sightings, that these are holograms. We've progressed as a society intellectually enough through watching television and various technologies we see in the malls and stuff, that we can understand the concepts of holograms now. So it, to somebody 50 years ago, or even as early as 30 years ago, holograms still were, what do you mean? Now we have a very good concept of what holograms are. I think, again, there is a level to science that we are still discovering. I believe that in many cases, a person, again, like Lotto, if the weather is right, pressurization or what airplane pilots call the ceiling, it lowers or it hires. That determines if how high they can fly or how low or if they can fly at all, is a pressure that amasses on households' environments. I think that that is one of the key elements to creating a kind of energy in a house that, like Lotto, a million to one, but with billions of houses, it happens over time. A person can walk through a hallway go to their bedroom, move around in the bedroom, pick up some clothing, walk back, and for a few moments, it is actually recorded. Now, what happens is, is again, there's maybe a possibility of this distortion of quality, 
as it's replayed, or there's very good quality. But the house pressurization from the weather, or I'll even throw into the loop electricity in the walls, copper piping, the circuitry of various televisions and stuff. Anything can contribute to an energy field that somehow triggers the right possibilities to recreate these events. And what happens is, is all of a sudden you see a silhouette or a hologram or what looks like a ghost walking through a hallway, going into the room, doing something or, or whatever. Often people will see a ghost down a hallway, they'll walk and then they'll turn left or right and they'll just walk through the wall. And the real question is that you ask yourself, well, my God, I've just seen a ghost. Well, the real question is, did the ghost respond to you at all? In most cases, no, it did not. It's as if you didn't even exist. They were calm, cool, and collected. They walk down the hallway, they hang a right. If you look back, of which I've done in various cases, you'll find that the house was renovated. And if you can find the old blueprints, 10 to 1, you'll find that there was a door where you've seen this entity go through the wall. So it's literally following its recording of what used to be there. You're just not seeing the door anymore. There's a number of possibilities, but it's not a living thinking entity. It is a hologram or a projection of light. And again, I've had situations where one person can see it and then somebody two inches away can't see it. Or you see it and you turn your head and it's gone. You turn your head to the left again back and you can see it. So it's almost as if you're catching a spectrum of light or something that's bending a certain way that you can see. And then many times this is why people say, I didn't see anything. And the other person says, how could you miss it? So it lends to a number of possibilities as to what is going on. But 10 to 1, in my opinion, these are, again, holograms, and this is the function. I have found that in some cases, just by moving objects, both in real hauntings and not real hauntings, you collapse the energy field that allows them to exist within your environment, and that alone resolves a whole haunting problem. So that's one particular case versus the audio. So there are situations where you can see entities in their holograms. If someone was to ask me, well, how do you know the difference? I usually say to people, if you can see it distinctly with clothing or like, you know, female hair and a face, usually again, 10 to one, it is a hologram, not a real ghost. A lot of times people will see in a window what looks like a spirit looking through there. And there's always in every town, I believe at this point, because it seems from my explorations that every town has what they call a, a white witch or the lady in white or, or something like that. It seems like every town has one, at least, you know, on the East Coast. What this really is, is either projections of entities or people projecting their ideals sociologically into what they think they're going to see. The human brain is a contributor to hauntings. You have to accept that in many cases, most hauntings aren't really hauntings. The real deal is out there, but we'll cover that. If you see at 100 feet in the right lighting a stump of a tree, and it has a stump to the left and a stump to the right that's been cut off, it looks like a body. The brain will automatically add arms to it in a head. It's constantly trying to create the image for you. It's like how the brain projects kind of what you're seeing. The eyes do a good amount of the work of what you're seeing, but the brain will actually add stuff that's not really there because it's its job more or less. It's from the primitive state of our brain. So I think in many cases when people go to graveyards, they see things. In this particular case, it's not a hologram. It's not an audio. What it really is, is them being heightened and afraid, but looking with intent. And that intent isn't to find a puppy. That intent in a graveyard when they go there isn't to find 
a frisbee or a balloon, it's to look for ghosts. And if you're going to look for ghosts, you're looking to find something. So your eye is already looking for what looks like a physical thing or something, you know, hauntingly. So again, you can't really trust those particular uh, scenarios or cases. Now, it's not to say that you can't have an entity in a graveyard, and we'll cover you know, the possibilities of this in my experiences, but you have to have a clear mind when you're approaching this. If if you want to find the real thing, you must have a level of scrutiny or a level of doubt or a level of filtering your own thoughts in order to find the gems and ash. Personally, I think seeing a hologram in this particular place that looks like a ghost is fantastic, but it's not at all what I'm interested in finding. I want the truth. I want to find the real deal. So back to my answer is, how do you know the difference? And I would say one of the, the fastest rule of thumbs is, is when you're really deceased or you leave your body, in most cases, there's really not a reason for you to, to have arms and a leg and a head. Your energy. So why would you keep that physical form at all to begin with? I find that most entities that have awareness and those that are consciously awake, that are spirits or ghosts tend to be balls of light or like what look like foggy forms of energy moving through a room because there's no need for physical shape. So why would they have it? Now, the ones that are containing a physical shape that are real hauntings, these entities are not even aware that they're dead. And this goes back to what I say, every wise tale has a little bit of truth to it. The spiritual will come to a house and it will, they'll say it to the spirit or to the ghost, go to the light, go to the light. And what does that really mean? Why do they, you know, where do, how do they even know this sometimes, I wonder? The concept is, is that the spirit is lost. This is what we know from tradition. You see a ghost and the ghost is haunting. It's haunting because it's lost. It's repeating itself. The question is, is why does it keep repeating itself? If it's a ghost, it should be intelligent. I mean, your brain isn't functioning. It's not working. Why is it that you don't know where you are? And my answer to that is, it's asleep, but it's awake. It's a dream. They're stuck in a dream. They've died, but they haven't accepted the fact that they're actually dead. So what happens is, it's kind of like a dream where you're running. You're running, and somebody's chasing you. And you're running as hard as you can, but you feel like you can't run fast enough. And you're asking yourself, why can't I run faster? And this is where you kind of wake up. And the person running after you never quite catches up to you, but there's a sense of, of you being aware that you're dreaming, and then you forget, and then you're back in the dream. It's like you're in the picture and you're out of the picture. You're seeing it as the second person, and then you are the person. There's like a duality. Well, they are in that same state of mind, is they can logically understand that there's something going on around them, but their brain can't figure out this is a dream. It's like they believe it's real. So you could say that why a ghost would haunt a house for 100 years is because A, it's energy, so it doesn't have a sense of time. So because it doesn't have a sense of time or aging, it just keeps lingering, and it keeps lingering because it can't remember what it just did 10 minutes ago. In your dream, it's hard enough to remember a dream when you awake. Can you ever dream and you remember your dreams as you're dreaming or what you just did 10 minutes ago? A dream seems to be captivated in the moment, but it never has a sense of time, really. The bottom line is, is they're stuck in this dream loop, in my opinion, and they cannot fully rationalize intelligently. They're, in our reality, haunting, but to them, it's a dream. They haunt the house because they feel this is their home. 
people move in, they move out. New people move in, those people move out. They don't see the sense of people moving in. In their dream, they can't understand why people that they don't know are in their home. So there's some rationalization in their brain that they have to get rid of you or that you shouldn't be there. It's not necessarily because they think you're evil and they have to haunt you or in your end, if you see a ghost come at you, you're thinking, this is evil. This is freaking me out. What is this? But in the ghost mind, it's trying to figure out why you're in its home. It can't remember that it's been haunting that place for a hundred years. It's just a moment for it. It's like seconds or minutes or hours. It doesn't have a sense of time. It's in a constant loop. So when it does have a moment where it has consciousness, like in your dream, you realize you, you should be able to run faster in your dream and you can't. And then you're trying to rationalize it for a moment. It's like you're awake. You're using common sense now. And then you forget and you're stuck in the dream and you're running again slow and it doesn't seem to have relevance. You're just running slow. It seems normal. It steps out of its dream and it sees all these strange people and it's either trying to communicate with you because it knows something's wrong. It knows that it's stuck in something and it's trying to talk to you, but now it doesn't have vocal cords to talk to you. You can't hear it. It tries to touch you, but you can't feel it. For a moment, it sees our reality instead of some stasis consciousness. How it sees you is the real question, and what it's trying to do is the next question. If an entity sees you, 10 to 1, it's trying to contact you. It's trying to contact you because it senses that out of 10 people in the house, you might have just stopped and felt something move across a room, or you seen something out of your eye and you looked. It somehow notices that you notice it amongst everybody else who doesn't notice it at all. So now that it senses that you can sense it, it's like excited. It's trying to talk to you, but you still can't really hear it fully. So this is why it does strange things. Sometimes it, it might muster up what I call enough energy to pinch you or to push you or to make an object move. On our reality, we freak out. We're like, oh my God, you know, and something evil's in the house. Something horrible's going on. Again, fear instantly. And the entity side, it's saying, how do I get this being's attention to say that I'm here? So this creates the rift between our reality and the reality of entities and spirits and why we don't understand them because we're trying to talk to them we're trying to touch them we're trying to see them with our eyes we're using all the wrong tools what we're going to cover is what the real tools are in order to properly understand them and why they're doing what they're doing how is it that some of these mediums or psychics are able to talk to people's family members i don't believe it all there and i'll probably get into some trouble for this <laughs> but i don't believe that they're talking to these deceased people or the spirits of them at all i'm not saying it's not possible i'm saying there's probably a room but not at the level that they claim i mean it seems as if we have hundreds of millions of entities just hanging around with nothing better to do than to watch us cross the street or something or to evaluate people in our life i mean this is ideally as people what we want to do we don't want to hang on to the people that we lose in our life we want to keep them with us so in our mind in our spirit in our energy we hold them here and you know we're selfish because we won't let these people go when someone dies in our life, of course, even I would have difficulty doing that. But the reality is, is that you have to, at some point, you need to let them go. And it's selfishness to want them to just linger and be around you. It's like they need to move on to the next level of wherever it is they need to go. I believe the majority of entities or people, when they die, those who 
have a certain level of consciousness when they die have a, a fuller understanding of things. It's like a completedness. It's like you remember all of your lives. It's like you become much wiser. It doesn't mean that you lose your identity, but it's like reading a bunch of books and you gain a lot of wisdom all of a sudden. And you know that you need to move on and that the people in your life will do well and that they have nothing to fear because if you understand that there's life after death, why do you need to linger around? You know, they'll, they'll figure things out on their own. It's really how I see it. The real question is, is how do they know what they know, these mediums and psychics? How can they hit on these things and this information? I believe it, it falls into two arenas. One, I believe that there is the collective consciousness of the planet, which I call Gaia, or you can call it the matrix, call it whatever you want. In this matrix or this consciousness that has all of our consciousnesses combined that makes one for the planet in this particular case, I believe on a psychic level we are capable of plugging into that. As I teach, every human being has a specific frequency. Isolate that frequency. You tune into their life, their information, what's going on. Second, I think there's a level of telepathy. You so desperately want to hear from a certain individual or want for communication that you project this to the psychic and they telepathically feel this or see this. And I think in many cases they wrongfully interpret this as being a spirit or entity in the room. You also know that you're seeing someone or you're dating somebody. I believe internally your sister, the psychic warned her about this guy, described him to a T, etc., etc. I'm willing to bet that your sister already had senses of this person maybe not being good. She internally did not trust him. So the psychic picked this up telepathically, and because she was there to speak with or the psychic about the father or, or hopefully some spirits or something, this was all put together as being how it was going to come out. So she went there with intent to see the psychic, maybe to, to talk to the father or to some spirit. They ended up focusing on that particular spirit or entity as being it, but it was really telepathic in my opinion. And her emotions and her feelings, which she didn't really voice. You know, it's like to say we meet people all the time and there's an instinct inside of us, which I believe is psychic. It's a survival instinct that I teach that is from primitive man, but it's purely psychic from a different part of our brain. Where we don't trust someone, we have senses and feelings about them, but we ignore it because the person sells us like a salesman. They win us over over time or whatever. The point is, is that we have certain senses and sometimes they're right and sometimes they're not. The point is... Your sister had doubts. This came out and it was interpreted that it was the father who was the spirit talking to the psychic saying to her, oh, well, this guy's a bad guy. You better be careful. None of this was really a spirit speaking. It wasn't a ghost speaking to the psychic. It was your sister's inner truth, inner emotion, inner sensory bouncing out to this person to be communicated back. No spirit involved at all. I'm always amused because there's a level of accuracy and there's a level of non-accuracy. And then there's always the occasional, well, I didn't know that. So it must be a spirit talking to them to tell them that. Otherwise, how could the psychic know? Again, I think that a lot of people forget certain things and they always knew. Or some of it is telepathically connected and some of it is pulled out of the Gaia consciousness, which has a greater source of information than even the person sitting there. As you know, I don't believe that everybody has a soul. When many people die, they give their consciousness to the Gaia consciousness, like raindrops into an ocean. So whatever those people knew who've passed away, who have not developed or created their soul to move on, 
have now given their information to this guy conscious. So if the person selectively is tuning into this person's spirit, it's tuning into the frequency. They're isolating the knowledge that that person has contributed like raindrops into this higher consciousness and like a library pulling that information out and then can give it. So in many cases, this is what I believe is going on. I believe some of these people truly believe they're working through spirits, but they don't realize that they're telepathically doing it. And I believe in their mind, they convince themselves of this, so they create certain imagery from their own mind. As I've taught you again, the power of the brain and how it interprets can create artificial realities to work with you. It's like sibling, multiple personalities. There are like identities that are working in your mind, but it's really you. It's just very complex. Well, let's talk about what is an entity's world like. That's not very easy to describe, and in some ways it is easy to describe. The first thing is, is that the only way that you have to perceive that or compare it is by how you perceive the world, through your eyes, through your ears, through your voice, through how you perceive reality. Now, we're talking about an entity, which we can call a ghost or spirit, whatever you want, which we've already deduced in the end is energy. So as energy, what it perceives is going to be a little bit difficult to explain, but it's more energy. It's colors of energy. It's structures of energy. When it sees you, I often think of the movie Lord of the Rings. When Frodo puts the ring on, he switches into this other reality where he sees these dead kings in this gray world and all these different stuff going on. They see a silhouette of our world, but it's a different kind of world for them. For instance, trees seem to be more like neon lights that are fibers. Like, I don't want to say veiny, but it's like if you tuck a plant and you can see all of the veins and you made it into light, but you couldn't see the green of the structure. That's kind of what they see. It's absolutely beautiful, but very different. They might see a human being, but a human being is more of a faded illuminations of very complex light density. They see your energy rather than your organic matter. And in some cases, it can be very faded. You're stronger in your illumination by how spiritual or how in tune you are, how much you're thinking on their reality. Again, we'll have to cover it, but if the more psychic you are, it's a tune. It's, it's a vibration that's going higher. And as your vibration gets louder, but it's not sound, you illuminate more in that dimension. And that's why you can feel more in that dimension. You can then sense other beings and entities and kind of what they feel. You're entering more their world the same way that they, I feel, solidify their energy down into our dimension. It's not like they're really designed to be here, but they can kind of exist here to a certain level. And that's how they sense and feel us. But it's very difficult to do. It's, I would say as many dimensional beings or entities that reside in this frequency plane, as many come into our world, as many people can feel that world. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's very few, slim to none. It's not every day you guys feel spirits or see entities, but some people feel them more than others. What they see is more energy rather than organic structure. Where we have walls and structures that we have for boundaries, they don't have a sense of boundaries. They have a sense of integration. And what I mean by integration is we would reach out and touch something to feel it externally. They move into it to feel it internally. For us, we would reach out and smell the flower 
and we'd feel the flower on our face, they would more or less move it into their body. It's the two becomes a communication. It's completely unique and different. Where they see structures of energy, they would rather move into it than what we would do than to just observe it. For them to interpret it, they can, they can kind of see structure, but structure does not hold the same importance as it does for us. It's more or less they internalize or they become one with it. You know, I often think of fairy tales where they say the sprites live in the trees. Everybody thinks that there's like a little village carved out inside of the tree or some people who don't realize it. I mean, think about it. How do you envision that a spirit lives in a tree? What does that mean? What it really means is an energy being lives within the energy realm. They merge with it. It becomes them and they become the tree. And that's how they communicate. That's how they learn. That's how things go on. Entities or spirits will move into each other and communicate rather than talking like how we talk across a room. It's very alien-esque. It's very unique and different, but it's much more beautiful and much more fascinating. When we think of their reality, we want to think of all the beautiful colors, but the truth is they don't really see the beauty in colors. For us, we think about the colors, and even I have to think about it because I'm thinking in my physical self than rather when I'm in my dimensional self, and so I'm trying not to mingle them, but when I think about it, I go, oh, but if you guys could only see the colors in these dimensions. If I was looking through it, when I'm in a pure entity perspective, you don't really see the colors. Rather, you feel them or you become part of them. You're independent in one way, but you're completely part of something. It's, it's like I say, all is one. We are all part of something bigger. The cells of your body, the living organism in your body are all separate and independent, yet they're part of a bigger thing. Well, there's a truth to say that entities are separate in their frequency or dimensional realm, but they are also part of something bigger moving inside of it, one with it. Instead of reaching, smelling, and touching, or doing what they would do with the five senses that we use in this dimension, theirs are completely different. Theirs is more internalized, or they plug into things. They become the spirit of things. It's completely different. I think in some cases when a person could be in a house or something that's haunted, and an entity moves through them, you feel a massive tingling effect go through you. And that's their energy mingling with yours. The problem is because we are living creatures, the more intelligent you are, the more that you control kind of a frequency. And it's when they try to move into it, they're pushed away or popped out. This is why I don't necessarily believe in possession. It's, it's something completely different than most people understand. But your energy holds such a tight frequency that they can't merge in because it's, it's like a wrench in jello. It doesn't work. If you are energy purely – then you would mingle, but you wouldn't be afraid of losing yourself because it's a different kind of communication and experience. It's profound. It's beautiful. But as long as you're in a physical body, it's like you're toned into this frequency and your physical body holds you in this dimension so your energy can't escape yet to this other frequency. It's like holds you in place until you, you die or your heart stops pumping. It's what creates this reverse magnetic field that holds you in this container or your body. Once the field weakens enough, it releases you and frees you so that you can move into this higher frequency. There is some problems with entities. Usually if they pass through you, they're not really passing through you. They're pushing into your energy field and it's pushed away. And the tingling is because your nervous system reacts to energy. Your muscles open and close because of electricity. Your eyes open and close because of electricity. Your heart, your liver, your lungs, everything is, is, is electrical. So when another electrical field hits it, we feel it and interpret it, interpret it in a sense that's very physically reactive, different than what the entity would. The entity 
if it's conscious enough that it's trying to communicate to you, it's not trying to possess you. It's not trying to harm you. This, of course, is the first thing we think. We're panicking because it's alien to us. It's completely different. What it's doing is what's natural to it. It's trying to, to merge with you like it would do another energy being. It's, it's trying to communicate with you, just kind of say, hey, hello. Um, now, I'm not saying in every single case they're friendly, but I'm saying in most cases they're just really misunderstood. And it's because it's just so absolutely uniquely different than anything we can perceive in this physical dimension. The paranormal investigators, A, just the fact that they're paranormal investigators mean that they are seeking out an entity. Just by seeking them out, they're opening themselves up to communication. That's the first given. Number two, if an entity is powerful enough or strong enough, consciously enough, it can project its thought to a person. What you have to understand is an entity does not have vocal cords, as we keep saying. It does not have the means of sitting down and writing a note for you and handing it to you. This dimension is very difficult for it to operate in. It's, it's, it's completely not designed to function in this dimension. But it's intelligent enough and powerful enough to, to want to. The human body is designed to take your soul, your spiritual energy, which is very similar to it, and it's designed to work with you. Now, here you are again trying to communicate with an entity, and now the entity who's very powerful, very mentally capable of concentrating on you or the paranormal investigators – and it is now projecting very strongly telepathically its thoughts or feelings or emotions. An entity doesn't say, hey, John, how are you doing? It projects the feeling of, hey, how are you doing? I mean, there's a very complex language in emotions, more complex and more defined than the English language or any language in the world as far as I'm concerned. And emotion is a universal language, not just in our world, but the universe Everybody knows the difference between sadness and joy. If an alien came down and it was sad, it would just be a matter of time before we started to understand that there was something very sad that it was feeling. Or if it was very happy, we would know it. We may not understand the specifics, but we would know. So emotion is a very complex language when you begin to decipher it or try to understand it. Well, this entity moved its vibration, its feeling in a very telepathic way, in my opinion, into them. Now your brain is designed to convert electrical impulses, energy into biochemical structure, etc. to create your feelings and your emotions. So it imposed its emotions on them. And again, it gets back to that fear. The fear creates the anxiety, the panicking, the nervousness, and immediately you feel frightened and you feel that this must be a very bad thing. It's something you've never experienced before and you're terrified. Naturally so, I would think. And so these paranormal investigators who felt this powerful presence communicate to them, it probably very clearly had something to say and they felt and experienced it and knew what it meant. I often say to students of mine, if I say, close your eyes, relax, and think about cool, soft, smooth, white, and then I say the second is dark, thick, hot, rolling and moving over the white, cool. I would say that's hot fudge over ice cream, 
okay? You imagine and you started already figuring out what those emotions or sensory of what that, that object was that I was saying. So you already interpreted or began the interpretation process. So when one invokes massive emotion at you for a specific cause of communicating something, your brain begins to interpret what it's being impounded on telepathically. It does not mean that that entity was trying to possess, but sure as heck, it probably felt like that to them especially if it came from an entity that was very capable of projecting it. And I think in many cases, this is confused with a form of possession. During your meditations, you feel things moving around in the room, or you may occasionally hear what seems like voices or something to that effect. The question is, how do you know that's not your mind, or if it's really entities or spirits or which is which? It's very difficult to say. When you reach certain levels, particularly using our technique, you are enhancing psychic abilities. And what is the psychic abilities that we're talking about? We're talking about the sixth sense. We're talking about a sense that goes beyond the five that you use to interpret already. I often say that sixth sense is what brings you to this higher dimension, which in many cases allows you to enter this dimension where there are spirits and entities also. So it allows you to communicate, to hear things, to know things. There's a lot of different levels going on. A you're plugging into the matrix or you're plugging into the, the Gaia consciousness of the planet. And because you don't have a certain control yet, you're hearing sometimes thoughts or what sounds like voices move through you or you're seeing things with there's silhouettes levels of, of consciousness you're moving through. So it doesn't necessarily mean it's ghosts and spirits as much as to say that your mind's plugging into a database of consciousness and it's, it's adapting to sort it all out. Each time you get in there, it's learning to cope and to deal with those things and to be able to interpret them and understand them. And other notes, it's to say that your sensory may be moving in a direction that's allowing you to pick up on entities and spirits that may be in the room with you. And the only reason is they're attracted per se to you because you're really reaching a very rich and quality kind of frequency that they're detecting. When you're in a good meditation or any form of meditation, I've never known entities to really want to interfere unless you are looking for them. If you're just doing your meditation, you're building your conscious, it's a different kind of frequency. You literally have to be kind of wanting that to attract spirits in order to even get that kind of response. It's like a frequency. It's like a, like a TV channel you'd switch to. The parapsychologists we were talking about earlier were saying how they were seeking out, they were at the specific house to find spirits or entities. That's what their intention was. If you're meditating and it's your last intention to speak to an entity or spirit, you're not really going to come across them. If you have somewhere in the back of your mind that desire, there's a very good chance if there's one nearby that it's going to present itself. If it's involuntary and it surfaces 10 to 1, it's not an entity. It's 10, it, 10 to 1, you're plugging into the Gaia consciousness, the matrix. You're getting reverberation of thoughts and stuff moving through you. I have had a great number of experiences with spirits and ghosts and entities. I recall a time when I was probably about 15 or so. I had a few friends over at my house, and I lived in this old house at the time. And we decided to see if we could have some spirits or entities come into the room. I had this old candle stand and it had to be at least three feet high and it was all this big, heavy, knobby wood and it must have weighed 20 pounds. It was like this old antique and it had a big, heavy candle. We had it on the middle of a coffee table and we were all standing around it and it was lit and it threw off a good amount of light and I think there was some other light in the room for some other candles. During this I don't want to say it was a seance because we really didn't know what we, were, what we were doing. But we were saying there's spirits in this house to be here and, and et cetera. And about 
a few minutes into it, I think we all just kind of calmed down and we figured nothing's going to happen. What looked like a hand kind of just reached out in the middle of the air and smacked the whole stand through the air. We watched it fly through the air and the candle spun and it went out. Thankfully, there was more candlelight in there. I think we would have probably ran into each other getting out of there. But it was just stunning. It just came out of nowhere. When I was very young, this is kind of terrifying. I, I probably shouldn't share this. I was probably about 11, 12 years old. Me and my brother had bunk beds. And I don't know about what time it was. Maybe it had to be late. I recall being in bed and feeling there's something in my room that I didn't want there. All of a sudden, I felt something grabbing the ankle of my leg. I wanted to scream or react. It was very quick. One, two, three. It jerked me completely out from my bed and threw me on the floor. So fiercely and so powerfully that blanket was still on my bed. It like pulled me right from underneath it. I don't recall much what happened after that. I, I would imagine I was very shocked. It, it was probably one of the most frightening experiences I've ever had when I was a young child. I recall my mother coming into the room and me not being able to really react. I was just stunned, like, what just happened? But I remember being also sleepy, getting up, and I think just crawling back into bed. And I don't remember my brother reacting at all. I'm assuming he was sleeping. This may sound absolutely bizarre, but ask, what do you do? What does a kid do? I had many paranormal things happen to me when I was young. I was terrorized by entities and spirits. <laughs> so it's not shocking, but it was one of the more shocking experiences I had. I'm sure I spoke to my mother about it. Another experience I remember I had was visiting my father. He was teaching me how to see auras, of which I seen very well. And he you know, was very excited about how well I could see auras and energy. And later that night, I went to bed. And again, there was bunk beds, me and my brother. In this particular case, I was on the top bunk and he was on the bottom. I remember again feeling the need to, to awaken or like there's something wrong. And I opened my eyes and I wish I didn't. I'm not sure that I can even explain to this day with all that I know. That's the scariest part. In the doorway to the bedroom, which was straight ahead from where, how my bed was, it was kind of like in the center of the room facing the door that comes in, like the door's a little bit to the left was what I would say looked identical to my father, but was not my father in any way. And the only thing I could think of was an alien entity that thought by taking on the form of my father that it somehow was supposedly going to relax me or make it feel less threatening. It's the only logic that I've come to at this point. It was the same build as my father, looked like my father, but the skin was fluorescent green. It was so brilliantly green, it was illuminated green. It was like almost hard to believe how it could have such green illuminated skin. It wasn't a dull green. It was lime, but darker than lime, but illuminated like neon. And the eyes were blacker than black. The beard was blacker than black. It was like black, 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 shiny black. So there was these two kind of contrasts. And that's mainly what I remember. And I remember walking towards the bed wanting to scream and I couldn't scream. I wanted to panic and I couldn't panic. I, I was panicking, but I couldn't move. My mind could not believe what I was seeing. It was just beyond imagination. It was walking towards me and I, I wanted to run. I wanted to scream. I wanted to, you know, I was just beyond myself. To top it all off, it got to the base of the bed it was like touching my foot. And I wanted to say it was running its like fingers, touching me up and down my leg. And at that point, 
I bellowed out. I mean, it must have been like a blood-curdling scream at the top of my lungs. And I closed my eyes, and I opened my eyes, and it was gone. And my father and my stepmother came running in the room, and, what's wrong? What's wrong? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, whoa, you know, I, I seen this thing, and I described what I just described to you. And my father said, you're just excited. We've been looking at auras all day. You're scared. Your imagination's getting carried away. It's just your mind. Don't worry. It's okay. You know, you're safe. My brother, of course, had to ruin everything because he was, you know, a few years older than me. And he's like, Dad, I seen it too. And, of course, no one had any answers. And, of course, I didn't sleep at all for the rest of that weekend. That was one particular case. It never happened again. It was just at one particular time. Now, you'd ask yourself, why in the world would I ever even dabble <laughs> with more ghosts or spirits or trying to, to investigate this? I think there's one part of me that was terrified by them. And it's the same reason why people love roller coasters, I guess. It's to be terrified, but at the same time, you want that adventure. And I think entities tortured me or scared me to death in some cases because I think they were very curious about me. On the same token, it's created a very strong curiosity for me about them. I remember being about 14. Of course, my, my life has been filled with paranormal and psychic stuff my whole life. So, of course, I've met friends and had friends in my life very young who would play games with me to see if I could read cards being flipped, do psychic things or the really cool things that I could do. And this really excited other friends I had when I was young. I remember there was this boy and girl. I vaguely knew. I must have only known them for a short period of time. And I went to their house. I had an apartment and it's in the, the bottom floor in the corner of the building. They had a Ouija board. They wanted me to help them and see if we could get some spirits. So, of course, I was always ready to, to please and let's, you know, let's see what we can do. We played with the Ouija board, and I think we got some response, but I think that I had seen so much really intense stuff already at a young age that I wasn't really terribly impressed. I was like, you know, well, we're not really getting anything, you know, whatever. I would say it was early night where the sun had already begun to set. Anyway, I left. I went out their door, and I should have taken a left, but for some reason I took a right, and I think I just wanted to go look up there for some reason. I don't know why, but you kind of go through the building area, and it's grassy, slight hill. I walked out there, and I seen this man who is walking a dog, a little dog. The first thing that struck me was it was strange because no one's supposed to have dogs in this apartment building. I've never seen anybody with dogs. They just don't allow dogs. So that was the first thing that caught my attention. The second thing that just instantaneously also caught my attention was I realized that everything was black about this guy. The jacket, his skin, he had a hat and it was like one of those hats, like a, like a wizard's hat, but not like a pointy top hat, but kind of like, like if it was raining, he has like this big flap going around his whole head that it would run off. So you can't see the face. It's like shadowed. And he had a trench coat on and everything was dark gray black on this person and the leash I realized it was black, and the dog was black. I thought, how strange this guy's wearing all these dark clothes. And I looked again, and I knew this was no human being. I knew this was not a person. Of course, the, the, I would imagine, I don't, I don't recall thinking like this now, but as an, as an, an adult much wiser, I'm like, what is it? if it's a ghost, what the hell is it doing walking this little dog? How absurd this all of us seem. I remember he just kind of turned and looked at me, and I instantaneously knew that he was there to check me out, that he had interest in me. And of course, the fear kicked in as I knew this guy was not a good guy. It wasn't that 
he did anything bad, but I could feel him all over me. And what I mean by that is he wasn't touching me with his hands, but he, his mind was feeling me. It was like scanning my mind and feeling my energy field. And he was very intrigued by me. I didn't like it. I felt like it was something very bad. Could you imagine a stranger just grabbing you physically? That's how I reacted. And I spun around and I just ran, you know, just, just ran. And I started pounding on these kids' door. I was like, let me in, let me in. And they wouldn't let me in. They were scared too for some reason. They must have heard the fear in my voice. They were like, no, we're not opening up the door. And I think that they were able to look out that window from their house and they must have seen it also. And that's why they didn't open the door because it doesn't make any sense to me why they never opened up the door. And then I ran, I ran home. There is a group of beings which are referred to as shadow people. Shadow people move in the shadows. They cannot have light affect them. Photons of light affect their body. And, and again, also ghosts and spirits are affected much the same way, uh, but a little differently. This is why I say there's always a little truth to every wise tale. I believe that there are a species of entities that move within their dimension into our dimension through darker spaces of shadow. Sometimes it can be seen as wispy, moving. And then other people say they see like the silhouette of their face or their structures because they kind of look humanish in some ways. There's very few stories about them, but I think in many cases they're confused with entities and spirits. Now, as frightening as it may sound, I don't really know of any cases of anybody being attacked by them. They seem to be very curious about us. They seem to be attracted towards people who, who tend to have a little bit more psychic ability than, than other people. They keep their distance, and they will just kind of step into these shadows and, and disappear again. Other times they can be seen in the corners of the room, even on the ceilings. I seen recently some research I did on the internet. Somebody had a camcorder on top of their computer, and they kept saying, I know there's something in my room at night it actually caught this entity in the room for like three or four frames come out of the air from the ceiling and it was still a little bright. Like it came into our dimension and it knew it couldn't stay. You could see the silhouette of the body manifesting and then it black smoke, but it's not like smoke. It's like fiber-esque is the only way I can describe it. Like silky strands of, of structure. And then it just kind of spun around and disappeared again. I believe that if it wasn't artificially produced, it would be consistent and accurate. There are cases where I have heard and I have spoken with people who I think are trustworthy who've come to me for counseling and some insight where one of them had a young entity child like this, which we will call a, a shadow person that looked to be 12 or 13 years old and it was in the kitchen and it just kind of stared him down. Like he caught this entity looking at him and they just kind of stood each other like in shock that the, the other one was watching the other. And then he got the nerve up to kind of like move and it just kind of spun around into what looked like the cabinet into the dark of the wood. And it just faded away. The interesting thing is there is some material that I've come across and I really should be able to, to, to give this in better feedback. But maybe we'll, we'll do a supplement if I can find it. It's just been such a long time since I've, I've even thought about this stuff. Um. In ancient times, there are cave drawings of what look like shadow people. There is 
some material where people have interpreted what they thought were ghosts, but really we believe were these shadow people. But they're known for, for like wearing like this trench coat look and these hats, which is very interesting. The same thing that I seen very young. So I think they're much more common than most people would realize, but I think that they've been able to manage to stay out of a certain level of limelight. You think if these species exist, why wouldn't everybody know about this or why wouldn't we have a greater level? And, and I, I could spend hours explaining all that. The point is, it's one species of entities, which I would say an entity is an intelligent being. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a ghost. When I think of ghosts, I think of the projected sound, I think of the holograms, or I think of a lost soul. Entity, in my opinion, knows exactly what it's doing. It's an entity that's not in the dream world. It's functional. It's consciously here. It has intention. And that could be an alien that can be a being who's intelligently here rather than caught in the dream world. When an entity comes into a room, there is a noticeable drop in temperature, and that is classic. Whenever you go into a haunting or a building and you know there, it's claimed that there's ghosts or spirits there, often there's reference to a 5-degree temperature drop to a 20-degree temperature drop. I believe this is because entities must come from somewhere. It's like you don't get into the room here unless you open the door and you come in. When you open that door, if it's cold outside and warm inside, what happens? Cool air is felt coming in. Well, it's kind of the same thing. I believe that dimensionally wise, if an entity is going to come into a room, it's going to affect a vortex or have to create a gateway or when it does that, I believe that molecules are affected or energy fields are affected. It affects it in such a way that heat is a kind of molecule vibration or frequency versus cold being less frequentized and stuff. I think that it defrequentizes and that's why it makes the temperature drop dramatically. It somehow it affects a certain amount of feet and it changes the actual molecules or the, the energy in the room. And this is why often when they appear or when they come into a room, the temperature drops dramatically. This is a classic way of whenever you are doing a ghost or spirit hunting and you feel the temperature dropping, literally it's just dropping. You know something's going on. There's there's something moving into somewhere in that room that coming from another place. Most people are going to be scared, but the idea is always be calm, cool, and collective as much as you can. If you know what's going on, hey, be thrilled. You're, you're probably looking for the entity or spirit anyway, so now at least you're on guard. In general, it's basically what I call the coming and going of entities or beings into a room is usually associated with the drop in temperature. Smells are associated with spirits and entities often. Um, I'm not sure why that exactly is other than the fact that Pheromones, obviously, are what affect our sense of smell, and I also believe that smell is directly linked to invoking very specific memories. It's something to do with our memories. I believe that the spirit who, who could be in that dream state associates with a frequency so strongly that it projects it or it creates it molecularly through the energy to create it into a pheromone design. In many cases, you can smell either sweet smells, perfumes. In, in one particular case, we recently went to a haunted old hotel. When we went into the hotel room with, with someone who was showing us the place, there was an overwhelming perfume smell, just overwhelming, just, just almost nauseous for me because I'm very sensitive to smells. And I thought to myself, I, I really need to get away from this. I need to open up the door. It's like there's too much 
perfume in here. And but it wasn't any of the other rooms, really, just this one room. And as soon as I thought that I felt the static charge of the entity move past me because I thought it, I felt the emotion that I needed ear. Do you understand? That's how you can't talk verbally to them, but emotion is energy. You can project it. So it felt my need. It meant my need being in a friendly way. And I felt the static charge move past me and then went to the window and the window just swung wide open. Okay. We of course looked at the window to double check. It was all very interesting. And so this was the smell from this particular entity, and it turns out the entity was the girl who was supposedly murdered there, and she was a prostitute and did not have a lot of money, and of course they used perfume heavily to camouflage natural body smell. I believe that this was the smell, the person here was saying it was lilac, which would possibly be something that was affordable or accessible at the time, which makes some sense. Often... Negative spirits are associated with a phosphorus smell, and I've experienced this on many occasions also, which is like rotting eggs, or they say it's a, a smell that's very repulsive to us as human beings. I believe, again, that if you think about it, when I was saying about smells, that there's times you could walk out to your car and you smell something, and you get a backflash of a memory in the place that you experienced it before, and it's very powerful. It almost jolts your, your memory. I think the same way for entities, it's the same thing, that the entity is so stuck in a certain frame, like this particular one with the lilac smell, that they project it somehow, and we can smell it through our sensory smell, and this is still energy and detection systems and stuff. So again, it, to me, it's a form of communication. For them, it's a profound memory. Well, if you can walk out to your car and you smell something, it throws you to the place and time you smelt it. What is that? That's an emotion. It's a pure, powerful emotion that's very complex with information. As I said before, emotion is a language. You feel it, and it interprets through your brain using its interpretations what that data is that it just hits you. You have this profound experience for a few seconds. I think that that's what they're doing. They're reliving a loop that they're in, and that smell is, is the memory for them. And that's why we smell it, and it's like them trying to communicate with us in the sense that if they smell it, we will have that same memory, and it's a form of communicating. There is a place we used to go to, and it was called the Lost Village, and it was a town in the middle of the woods. You have to literally hike a mile down this dirt path to get to the area. Many of the people here I've brought there, and they've experienced it for themselves. It was a great place that I used to bring people for training. At different occasions, you could hear things. Either you could hear a horse and carriage, cows mooing, people talking, kids playing. Uh, There's a number of audio things. I believe that in this particular case, that was a very unique case also. I don't necessarily believe that the majority of those were spirits or anything like that. Again, it doesn't fit into my theory about entities and ghosts and stuff being energy and vocalizing. So why could you hear all these sounds? I believe that there was a time loop or something was going on. We found out later that the ground was a lot of stones um, in the dirt. And not only was there a lot of stones, but there was moving water all throughout that. And I, I don't know, you could say quantum physics or energy development of some type or the valley, how it maybe settled frequencies or energy. But in either case, for some reason, I think there was sound recorded for some reason at that time period. It wasn't recording new sounds, but it kept looping randomly different sounds. And you could hear a sound and you try to move towards it and it moved away. It's almost as if it had like a 20-foot stick. And as you walked, it moved 20 feet away no matter how you tried. 
there was some parapsychologists were saying that they heard these children. They kept trying to find the kids, but they couldn't find the kids. And they knew there was no way they, these kids could be out in the middle of the woods. I've heard the horses. The cows mooing was very interesting because as a psychic, I would scan thinking there must be a cow or there must be something. I'd look with my normal five senses and see nothing. I'd psychically scan. I wouldn't see nothing. I couldn't feel the presence of something, but there it was, you know, moo, you know. We'd walk for, you know, I we know that whole area for miles in each direction. It's in the middle of nowhere. There's no cows are going to be out there. There's only one explanation. There's this either time loop of maybe this time period relapsing over or it's recorded projected sounds without a doubt. Now, one of the interesting things in this particular case is that there are cellar holes and well holes and where there was a barn. You know, they built all this fancy stonework and framed it out, but there's no wood left. But you can see that there was a village of some type developed there with several groups of people having their areas developed. On the main pathway were these three or four trees. I always felt that these trees were very significant to the vibration of the place or why there could be these sounds constantly. We always had excellent experiences there. And what happened was it was a hurricane. When I went back there, one of the trees had been broken down. These trees were very much the same, same size, very big, very tall, very straight, very peculiarly laid in the, in the front there. And somehow I felt that they were like tuning forks going into the ground to these stones in the water underground. And I felt that they were very much a part of what was going on there. And when the tree broke, I would say 80% of what was happening there in paranormal levels just came to a screeching halt. I believe that there was a connection. I mean, I don't believe that science fully evolved, that we have the answers for everything. And I think that there are freak coincidences. I don't think the people planted those trees were expecting to have some magical experience or they did it on purpose. I think they just planted it for the sake of it would look great. It was just a freak chance that they affected something on a paranormal and metaphysical level, and that's what created this this effect. To me, paranormal, metaphysical, still science. Science is metaphysical, paranormal. It's, it's just a matter of just understanding what's happening. On other occasions, in the middle of nowhere, on top of this hill is a graveyard, and we've had several experiences there where we've seen entities and spirits. We've seen balls of light moving through there, which are entities. So there's definitely... A, unusual things. But I don't think that the sounds really have to do with the entities. I think the entities were drawn there because there's metaphysical energies there. And it's just coincidental that these sounds were recordings going off. So this is why you'd have paranormal things happening. But I don't think those were the spirits of the people who live there once. It was very interesting because I recall one time I took a group of college students one of the professors had knew about me and respected me and basically arranged for these students to get together and go with me to kind of see if I could convince them that there was entities because they were all non-believers. What happened was as I talked and we went through the Lost Village part. And of course, nothing really happened. They didn't hear anything. And they were nice about it, but you could tell they were like, yeah, whatever. Well, one of them had one of the older Polaroid cameras that you take the picture and you could see it develop in front of you. He was a bit of a smart aleck. We walked through the whole village and we started heading up and I showed him the graveyard. And then as we were coming back down, there's a pile of stones that just seems like they're just a pile of stones. Now, you could say that maybe the people who built all these stone walls out there, maybe this was their supply that they put together. But I always felt that it was a marker or a grave and they were people on the run. I always felt it was like a baby or something very young or signified. It doesn't mean it was still there. Anyway, so I was explaining all that and I was like, oh, and I seen this glowing light, this orb above the pile. So I looked to them and I says, 
do you see it? You know, and of course everybody looked at me like I was insane. And I do this from time to time, you know, because I, I see it. So sometimes I forget that everybody else probably can't see it or I assume that they can't. The one guy who's the smart aleck with the Polaroid camera says, well, where is it? I says, it's right over the stones. He says, okay. So he takes the camera and he takes a picture and the picture comes out. Well, obviously everybody knows where I'm going with all this. There's the orb floating above the pile of stones. They, of course, now had to rethink their whole philosophy of whether spirits and entities really existed. And it made for an interesting ending of the day. I remember one time I went out there with another friend. We decided to go out there at late at night. And <laughs> I don't know if this was necessarily an entity or spirit. I don't believe it was. But we started to walk in the dark out there. And I've been many occasions in the dark out to these places. I mean, I'm not intimidated. I go there. Let's see what we can find. And in this particular case, we were walking and we stopped. And I said, hang on, Scott. We're both kind of listening. All of a sudden, this blood curdling just comes out. And so he turns around and he's like, what was that? And I'm like, shh, 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 you know, let me listen again. He's like, let's get out of here, you know? And I'm, I don't know, I get in trouble. I'm like the scientist. I'm like, well, well wait a minute. I need to figure out what this is. I'm not even thinking like, oh, it could be, a, you know, uh, an ax murderer or something out there. I just want to, if I can't psychically find it and I can't see it with my five senses, you know, I'm like, oh, what the hell is this? And then it did it again. I never figured out what it is. The only thing I kept thinking is, is that in my psychic mind, I kept seeing some kind of weird bird or, and I've never heard a bird make a sound like that. And needless to say, Scott never wanted to go in too many outings like that with me again. So moving objects for an entity is extremely, extremely, extremely difficult. I think in rare cases, there's some answers to why they seem to do it easy. Well, if it's so hard to move an object, how can this one entity just push this window open? Well, there's a reason for that. I think sometimes unconsciously we can do miraculous things. In their reality or their dimension, there's like a law of physics, just like there's a law of physics for us. But a, a panicking woman in some cases has been known to lift a car up from it crushing their child. Uh, there's miraculous stories always, constantly, that defy physics. Let's clarify something, okay? For an entity to move a paper clip, to push it a tenth of an inch, would be the equivalent for anybody to move 800-pound weight. Would it be easy to do? Could you do it with enough effort? Probably. And would you be able to get it far? You'd be able to move it a slight amount of distance before you've exhausted yourself. This is what it's like for an entity because physical dimension is so different, so different than what they're designed to do, that to move the most minute object is an exhaustive amount of time. That's why I often say that when an entity wanted to get to your attention, they decide, okay, I'm going to move this small object. By the time you move on, you come back, they've already exhausted themselves. And the only thing is you, you say, well, I could have sworn I put my keys in this spot. I always imagine this entity going, ah, and they're trying to get a whole, your attention, but it's hard. It's hard to get into sequence into our reality. But for them to move objects is very, 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 very difficult unless you have a very, very powerful being or entity. And what makes them powerful? What makes them powerful is they are somehow able to collect our frequency, our molecules is the only way that I can describe it, how I see it in my mind. They draw it into them. It's like sucking in smoke and it makes them more or partially more of our physical dimension. 
And this is an ability. This is a, a conscious act that they are able to do. And they then have a stronger level of a physical body to work in our dimension. So they are able to move objects a little bit better. I've actually watched footage recorded of an entity just having a fit, kicking rubber-made garbage cans where they just kind of dented it and popped out on film and slamming doors and cupboards and cabinets and just wrecking havoc through this house. It was a modern house and new, but the people had moved out because they were freaking out because there was this entity in there. This entity was able to use its energy somehow to really have very, very potent, powerful effect on the physical room that it was in. Now, this is very rare. You do not come across this very often that an entity has this ability, which again brings in a number of possibilities, whether it's an alien in our dimension or who knows what. It seems that anger, like anger in, in our reality, when focused, tends to have a very strong manifestation. And entities are often referred to as being demons because they're very intimidating and very destructive and seem to have this profound innate ability and within us using our own natural sense we have a sense of fear we know that it doesn't have good intentions so we don't have to be too brilliant to know we want to get out of its way so an entity usually that's angry is capable of doing certain things that are very potent or powerful um, there's one particular case i know where some parapsychologists were investigating a haunting and they went up in the attic they were Filming, they didn't get anything. Supposedly all the noises and sounds were happening from this attic. And as they were all leaving, there was one person that was the last person. And as they were coming down, something grabbed them and pulled them back in, carried them through the attic to the end. And there was a rope or something and actually noosed them to be hung and left them there. And then the other people ran up there and they were able to get them down in time. So that's fascinating story. Now, whether or not that's like an urban legend, I mean, I can't say. I didn't see the real footage in that, but from the, the sources I heard it for, I would say would be relatively acceptable. And I've, I've heard hundreds of stories like that. And what's happened to me myself certainly makes me believe that it's certainly feasible. Entities, ghosts, ghosts I do not see as, as being this bad. Uh, entities, I do. Ghost communicating can affect electrical fields, energies, televisions, radios in certain ways, entities even more so. But they're not going to sit there and tell you like in Amityville, you know, get out. It, it doesn't work that way. That's Hollywood. You can feel an incredible sense of energy where this thing's projecting fearful energy at you and you're going to know something doesn't want us here. That's probably more true. It is capable of pushing you biting you, doing certain things, but they have what I call gusts of ability and then they're exhausted. Do you see what I'm saying? In this particular case, you know that they only have a certain amount of time before they exhaust this energy. And it's very rare that an entity in all of my studies actually is even attacked a person ever. It's very, very rare. So you don't feel so panicky that you have to be terrified about it. I mean, how often have you been bit by a dog? It happens. But for those who play with dogs all the time, there's a greater chance you're going to go out and look for spirits and spend a lot of time doing it. Well, you're going to come across things. But hey, you'd probably be excited like the roller coaster. You could say, my God, it bit me. But wow, I would say this is fantastic. So <laughs> hey, an entity can, in some cases, if it has a very strong, powerful energy field, can actually in rare cases, move through electrical instruments and it comes out a certain way. It sounds scary to you. And of course, you're scared because it's something happening that you don't understand what's going on. It's natural instinct. But you can arch speaker wires a certain way and it makes an electrical sound that sounds very intimidating also. Much like how there's always a, a white lady in every town. 
that we look at the stump or a person looks at the stump in the distance and it has what looks like stump arms and stuff. And all of a sudden our brain projects a body in the distance. It's the same thing when we hear a sound. If it sounds semi-human, we in our brain already start to create a being. It's an entity. It's a thinking living thing here to come and get us. It doesn't necessarily mean that's the case. And we always have to be careful how we interpret things. So I always say my golden rule is, is always try to come up with three interpretations. Okay, if you're out ghost hunting, naturally your first interpretation is that it's a ghost. The other two have to be something a little bit more reasonable and deduce some kind of level of logic because you don't want to be chasing illusions and believe in illusions because if you spend your life believing everything you see, you miss the real thing. And if you find the real things, you might really find really something incredible behind it and fantastic that you could have gotten much greater experiences out of. And so you want to be very select as to what you take in as being legit and have some standards of criticism prepared. So I always say rule of thumb is go ahead and deduce the experience as, as paranormal if you want, but look for some logical answers. I would say also that a great number of hauntings, and this is proven in, in a lot of material where people have claimed that they're speaking with spirits or have ghosts in their house or moving objects and they demonstrate it or have a seance which was very proliferant in the 1800s per se, to have these seances where there was floating horns and, and all sorts of stuff. 99% of this was, in my opinion, proven as fraud. And then there was these two sisters who basically had all of these people fooled that they were dealing with entities and, you know, there was table rapping and sounds and they would say, if there's an entity here, you know, let us know that you would hear a snapping sound like, like that. Later on, as they got older, they confessed that they had fraudulently do that and that they were able to move their knees in certain ways and, and make that sound. And I think that sometimes people are a little bit lonely or want attention or, or – and I've, I've come across my, my own situations where I've discovered this with people. And they fake things. They just do it. If you want to be foolish and believe everything, that's up to you. But the real things out there don't – buy into everything. And if you have a level of scrutiny that's healthy, you'll find the real deal and you'll find some very interesting things. This is just something that you know you want to keep in mind. Deduce things as logically as you can, but also in a paranormal perspective is healthy also. Let's talk about how do you deal with an entity if an entity attacks you or if you're in a situation where you're really afraid or there's a problem. How you think, how you react is going to be the difference of whether or not you can affect an entity and defend yourself or not. Can you physically fend off an, a very powerful entity? And the answer is yes. The real question is, is how? How is that possible? I discovered this on my own during some extreme situations and found out it worked very well, thankfully. The first thing is, is don't think like a human being, think like an energy being. A, you have an organic body. Your body is a machine. It's really not you. You're an energy field coexisting with this organic body you have made of living organisms. If you can accept that, then you have to think of yourself as being energy that's moving around this physical body. Like I said, if you can see auras, you see the energy, it's an energy field. Well, if you extracted all of that energy out from the body and you move the body to the left and the energy to the right, you'd be an entity. You're just working in this physical body that's interpreting this dimension for you so that you can get it as an energy being. 
If you smell, it turns into electricity. Whatever you see is turned into electricity. Whatever you hear is turned into electricity. Whatever you taste is turned into electricity. So your body is like an ATV exploring this dimension because you're an energy being trying to interpret this dimension. If an entity hits you, it's not hitting you physically. It's hitting you with its energy and your physical body's reacting to the energy. In other words, if you were to, to stick your finger in an electric socket, you're, you're going to jump 20 feet through the air. It's not because you jump 20 feet. It's not because you're afraid. Your muscles expand instantly because the electricity is doing it to you. It's the same way your hand opens and closes. It's electricity stimulating these muscles to react in such a way. Well, when you get a pulse of electricity, everything expands, which creates a thrusting effect. Well, an entity is a kind of a very select frequency. When it hits you, it, it's just as if it's hitting that physical part of your body and the muscle knots up. The same way like in your leg, if you get a knot, how does it know to be a knot? It's because that physical parameter, something in your nervous system is reacting and it's making it expand really, really tight and it's painful. You're like, oh my God, and you're trying to rub it out and it's waking you up out of a sleep or you're just like, ah, well, that's what an entity does. It like hits you and it reacts and your muscles react to it. The first thing is to become calm. If you're calm, your muscles become calm. So it can't necessarily override so easily. Of course, it's not an easy thing to do if you're, you know, you're like, ah, there's something in here. Is just breathe, go back to your classes of energy, use the foundation material and calm yourself and breathe. If you are within a good tonal, your frequency is so powerful, no entity can get near you. It's you're emitting a pitch that's very difficult for them to approach. That's why I said when you're meditating, I find it very unlikely that any entity is going to approach you. It's, it's almost as if they cannot. Now, the second thing is think in energy. There is a method of becoming one with the environment where you're not really using your five senses and all of a sudden you plug into the room. And when I say to you like an entity becomes part of what it is, it's very hard to explain. It's to say that like electricity, if you put it in a pool, that whole pool of water becomes an electrical field. You're not going to stick your toe in it no matter what part of the pool you're in. It's the same way. You become part of the electrical field of the house and you can feel the entities moving in you. You're part of this bigger thing. Okay, Instead of feeling just your body, you feel the walls of the room. So you know where these entities are. You don't really necessarily open your eyes because your eyes can't really detect them easily. Unless you see auras, you might be able to see their body moving around. But for the most part, they're moving so quickly, it's hard for our, our brains to interpret that frequency. So you close your eyes. You have to trust your instincts, but you literally can reach out and grab them or touch them. But you can't reach out just with your hand. You have to be feeling and thinking about the energy of your hand the aura around your hand, the vibration of your hand. And if you just swat at them and you just think pure energy and you swat at them, it's just the opposite. In our reality, to move a paper clip is like 500 pounds. When we swing our arm, we have the advantage because we're in both dimensions. If we think about our energy, our energy kind of takes on a structural size. So when we hit them, it's like being hit by a 500-pound bat for them. It will just mess them up. There are other ways where you can actually just grab their energy and then breathe in, but breathe in through your hand. Now, you're not going to take them in like possession, 
what you do is they're shrouding themselves, as I said before, with the kind of energy around them. That's what makes them able to physically move in here. So it's like clothing. What you're going to do is when you inhale them, you're almost like pulling their clothes off of them. They're like vulnerable, naked, and they can't touch anything anymore. You're grounded in this dimension, but you also can move on their dimension if you think about your energy body. So you just, you just pull it, just even the most mildest thought is frightening to them. They're coming as a big bully and you just turn around. You just all of a sudden became this giant dragon that's going to snap them up in one bite and they're ready to pee their pants. You're like, whoa, it will throw them off guard. But you just just pull their energy in with a breath, but use your hand, like use your mind. Like you can pull through your hand, but the breathing synchronizes the body with the mind. This is why when you calm your breathing, your mind slows down. When you pick your breathing up, the mind goes up. So you use your breath and energy movements. You take their energy away by reaching out and imagining you're breathing through your hand. You're sucking them in. That, in many cases, is going to, to end the situation in a very dramatic, fast way. It's just hard for us to imagine because we're so intimidated. The intimidation keeps us from concentrating in order to do it. That's why I say think about your lessons. Think about what you learned in foundation. Think about calming yourself for a moment, and then that's when you do your best kung fu. It will come from you. You just have to let it go. You have to trust yourself. And when you're in that tone, you're letting the force or God move into you. You are an absolute force to be reckoned with if you can just trust the universe to come into you to take care of this. Your intent is, I need to deal with this. You don't have to think about it. Just let the universe move into you, and it's going to take care of the problem. Chi is the closest energy to physical energy that's spiritual energy at the same time. Uh, the other ones get more finite, but they're also more powerful, but it takes more technique to learn. So you're virtually using your chi to combat entities. There's a, a massive number of things you can do. There's times where I've gone to places and, and people have said there's like crazy, evil, bad entities in this place and they're horrible and, and people are being physically hurt and thrown across rooms and yada, yada, yada. And I'll just go into the room and, and I don't want to sound like ultra powerful being, but I will just put my hand on the wall of the entrance I don't have time to go chasing the spirits out. So what I do is I just change the whole octave of the whole house so they can't be there. And it blows them right out the doors. I just go into my meditative state, pull the force into me and become one with the force and feel this higher love. And I just go, okay, it's time to change the vibration of the whole building. And I project this energy into the whole building. And any entity with ill-begot vibration cannot stand that vibration. They are literally pushed like a giant snowplow just slamming into them. They're shoved right out. When you meditate, this is the vibration you're creating. This is why entities with any ill intent can't come near you. You're literally just pushing them away. You just don't understand you're doing that. You can project energy if you learn how to do it. If you compassionately have intent, your emotion is saying love and bad things can't be here. That's it. And you're filling this vibration into the walls. It's just like fills the walls, the floor, the carpeting. Every object is connected energy-wise. And the parameter is, is you're thinking the house. So, so naturally, it just fills that area. How much energy you have, obviously, is going to decide what you can do. I mean, an average person isn't going to come in and blow out a whole house like somebody like what I would do. I think most people who have a, a good spiritual sense... And they want to be helpful and do a good thing where there's bad energy. 
okay, they can can work a room or work an environment or just walk through the room with their energy being a good place and just wish to push it out and just move their hand and just visualize this moving energy. Anybody who's seen auras can see how expansive the aura can get from the hand. You've seen it with your own eyes. Well, you just move this energy through and you're, you're going to push them through. If you Think about spiritual people, whether they be from India or American Indian, shamans or spiritual clerics. You will constantly find that there's a method of what I say is broadcasting energy. They might do it with sage or smoke. They might do it with prayer. They might do it with holy water. But in the mind, they're projecting a kind of intent and energy out. And that's what entities react to. That's what energy reacts to is other energy countering it. And this is a good intention, and this is what the whole purification thing is about. So what I'm doing is simply stepping out of this ritual process and getting directly to the source, and that's what makes it very powerful because I can magnify it because I have a very good grasp of what it is behind it. What it is behind it is pure love. It's pure good intent. It's intent that's very powerful and cannot be destroyed. I say sometimes, why chase a spirit off? Why not just bathe it in absolute God's love and that's enough for it to be awoken to remove it from all of its anger and make it see sense instead of controlling its mind to be so negative and but the thing is if it's will stronger than yours and you're not really evolved or developed or prepared to handle that of course it's a challenge find that place and the universe becomes one with you and when god's within you there's nothing that's impossible so you can deal with entities, you can fight them, you can work with those scenarios. If you use the foundation series, it's the foundation of understanding energy and the technique of, of harnessing and working with it. You know, if you understand that, you can incorporate it into anything. It's multidimensional. This is just another dimension. It's what plugs you in to be able to do these things. There are other things you can do also with, with spirits or ghosts. If you have ghosts in the house and they're not really doing horrible things, but you you know there's ghosts, you're having problems, you're feeling very uncomfortable, I find that in many cases that ghosts all of a sudden show up one day. Hauntings just kind of happen. People who, who I know that are like atheists and they're like, okay, we've accepted the fact that our place is being haunted and we want it to stop. And nine times out of ten – this equation always works. I will say to them, have you done anything differently? And they'll be like, no, I haven't done anything differently. And I'm like, think about this. And they're like, no. Have you moved the furniture around at all? Have you bought anything recently, like a refrigerator or something? And they're like, where is this guy going with all of this? The answer nine times out of 10 is, well, yes. And I said, well, what did you do? Well, we bought a refrigerator or we moved the living room around. And in some rare cases, just so you know, people have vacuumed and moved furniture around, and it was enough to do what I'm going to talk about. Whether it be quantum physics or whatever it may be, again, the million and one lottery, I believe that the springs in a chair, the electrical moving through all the walls from the, the wiring, telephone wires, who's to say? But if you structure certain objects in a very specific way, and you can capture a frequency or energy or an electricity, it creates what I call a gateway, an arch. Enough energy that it begins to vibrate that it creates what I call a dimensional portal, a place for spirits or entities to come through or that they're attracted to. In their reality, they see it like this flashing light, and they're like, what's that? They go towards it, and they come through on the other side, and they're like, you know, wow, this is an interesting place, or you know, the energy in the whole room for a certain amount of distance 
is multidimensional. It's like they can see you, but you can't see them, or you can kind of see them, and they can kind of see you. It's like something that makes both realities kind of become one a little bit. All these unusual paranormal things happening because these two worlds are touching one another. I find that it's from a fluke. It's the way things are positioned or the couch was moved or something is, is hitting the right frequency. So I'll say, well, do you want it to end? And they'll be like, yeah. I say, okay, well, just start moving your furniture around, reorganize your house. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I'll just do it. And they'll do it. And instantly, like magic, the spirits and oasts and entities or whatever might be bothering them just stops. They'll often want to recreate it again, and they never can get it quite to happen again. Because whether it's a tenth of an inch of how the couch was turned or a TV was positioned, and then sometimes something will happen for one hour or one day and it never happens again. It's because somebody moved that object to cancel it. It collapsed that frequency or energy field that somehow built like a bubbling effect. And it popped or deflated because you moved the object that created the chain of events to create that to happen. There was a case I worked on out in California, and they were having paranormal things happening. And I went in there, and she had the priest there, and they had, you know, all these mystics and psychics there. And I just walked in, and I was like, well, you want to solve the problem? She's like, you can. And I was like, yeah. I said, just reorganize it. The problem's in the kid's bedroom. And then she was like, yeah, we just put this bed in there. We did the bureau and all this. I says, yeah. I says, well, I says, it's, it's coming from this room. She says, you're right. She says, this is where most of it happens from. She says, I, I feel that myself. And I was like, well... Move the room around. She says, you know, well, how is that going to help me? I says, it'll solve your problem. And she did. And she says, it was like a miracle. It just everything stopped. And so she said sometime later that she kind of wanted it to happen. And people are funny. So she tried to get it to happen and she never could get it to happen again. So she tried to move the furniture back the way it was. But it's maybe five objects that are exactly in the right position to create an electrical arc or something or an effect or a frequency. And that's what allows it to happen. And it's a million and one chance that it happened. So in many cases, I say to people, if you feel that you have spirits or entities or vibrations in the house that you don't feel comfortable with, it's kind of like a feng shui thing. I think the Chinese have it right. You don't hear a lot of stories about hauntings or anything from this culture, at least never anything in a negative way. It's usually very positive. And what they do is every few years, they take the whole roof off the house and there's no roof. It's just open sky. And then they put it back on again. And they believe that this flushes out all the spirits and energy and everything. I do believe there's a level of truth to that. I think that it just moves a lot of the negative energy out. At one point, I owned a very, very old house. And you think this should have a creepy effect or it should have strange energy. And never. The roof was all redone at one time. And I always thought about that. And, you know, why I never felt all these vibes from all the people who must have lived there. We're not talking about shingles. We're talking just take the roof off and build a new roof. Move all the objects in the house. Change the energy. And it has a profound effect. I was once asked, uh, an aunt of mine had a, a lady friend who was married and had a lot of children. I don't know how many kids, but there was a lot of kids. They kind of live out the country. I remember they were near a state forest and stuff. And they had a, a, a big house. It was kind of like a Victorian house, a big porch, I remember. And this is a long time ago now. They had an unusual experience. They were woken up in the middle of the night by a huge pound sound or bang, boom, like a car hit the house or something she described to me, but it wasn't quite that bad. It turned out in the middle of their <laughs> their living room, this is so absurd, was a huge mound of dirt with like grass growing out of it. 
they felt or had decided that there was some portal that came through the ceiling, which is very interesting. In either case, they asked if I would close it or if there was something I could do. They didn't want to seem crazy and they were afraid if they were going to talk crazy that maybe somebody might want to take their kids away or something. You know, most people are very concerning. You can't explain this in normal terms. So I recall staying over at the house and I decided to sleep on, on the couch in the living room. And one of the other things they were concerned about if something live came through and because of the kids, or something could happen or whatever. That's why they wanted it closed because I wanted it open. <laughs> I wanted I would crawl through. Let's see what's on the other side. I recall hearing some sound or something and turning on the light and there was um, an Indian moccasin to what looked like an Indian. It was like just the beading and the leather is very unique. And in another occasion, I think in the same night or the following night, there was a watch that fell through that looked like an old time kind of watch that you would look at. And it had like the, the thing and it actually functioned. I could see on the ceiling from time to time what, what looked like Oh, how am I going to describe this? I don't want to say like rings of water, like if you hit water, how it flutters, but it, it kind of had that same fluttering thing, but it looked like blues and purples and different colors, and then it would come and go. And this actually was the particular case that I really began to learn about moving the furniture around because we, we kept, I kept telling them, you know, when did it happen? What happened? How did it happen? And eventually we came to realize that they had moved furniture around in their living room. We decided to rearrange it back the old way it was, and it just completely stopped. And this is what kind of caught me on to that whole idea about understanding to move furniture and where my whole theory developed from that years later. So one of the things I wanted to talk about also about entities was why entities are always associated or ghosts with nighttime versus day. You don't really hear about too many people seeing or having experiences with ghosts during the day, usually at night. And it's kind of interesting because instinctually we feel safer during the day than we do at night or with the light on. Now you could say it's because we can see better, which might be a big part, but we'll still lay down and go to sleep. There's like a sense that says that we're safer during the day than we're at night. I think, again, there's a little truth to every wise tale. I believe that ghosts that materialize in our physical dimension have enough trouble interacting. I think that sunlight, <laughs> the same way it gives human beings sunburn, I think the photons disrupt their dimensional body or their energy body. It's whatever design it is. I think it's kind of like they know that they shouldn't be in it. It's like heat for us. They retract from it. So that's why I always say in the shadow places is where you always sense entities or we always think there could be something, you know, in this dark area or in a graveyard. You know, it's usually in the darker parts. We, we always kind of feel that there could be something over there, but never in the light. One of the interesting things was, was at one point when I lived out in the desert areas in Arizona and stuff, I never could find any entities. I had a very hard time scanning and I wanted to find entities to teach and work with students because what I usually do is I will find all these haunted places and I take students here to train them because it's the best way to learn is to, to kind of have these experiences. And so when I was living out there, I, I knew that I would have to find places and I had a very hard time finding anything. I realized, well, of course it makes sense. You know, the sun is always out here. It's constantly pounding the environment. What entity would want to be here? And the ones that usually are is I, I think of religious spiritual teachers such as Christ and the powerful entities at some points he did with. And it wasn't really what I call sissy spirits or ghosts. He dealt with pretty tough entities. What I found was the ones that could survive out there 
were very powerful because they would have to be to be in an environment like that. But they were very far and few in between to even find. I find that in places where there's fog or heavy rain or just like folktales say, there's a logic behind it. This is where the majority of entities would exist, and this is where you find them, is in these kind of various locations. So there is a, a difference between sunlight and ideal weather, and this is why I think like England, you know, you always hear about all their great ghost stories. I think there's a little truth behind that. It's the environment. I also think that there's more virus behind it, such as rain creating ionization. I think ionization has a lot to do with entities. It's the same reason why... Um, that there's temperature drops or there's smells associated in a way. This can also deal with ionization if you get into this a little bit further. So I think there's a connection between electrical storms and, and rain creating energies that can be harnessed and used for entities, their ability to come and go from their place or be able to mingle in certain places that have energy. So we know that an entity or a ghost haunts a house because when they die – they are in a dream loop. They're trying to reconnect with what is the most familiar place to them. Familiar meaning that they will go to their home or, or a home that they might have once lived in their childhood because they're in a dream state. They're not thinking cognitively correct. You might find a ghost all of a sudden in your house and it could have been somebody who died that's 80 years old and you know here they are. And haunting, the haunting the most familiar place. This is why they say sometimes ghosts are in graveyards because they want to get back into their physical body. It's like in their dream kind of conscious, they think that if they got into their body that they'll wake up. This is why they're drawn to their physical body. So this is why they haunt. Freeing an entity or a ghost from haunting, you have to get their attention. You have to convince them that they're dead. You convince them by they're dead because they don't believe they're dead. It's like in your dream, you don't realize you're dreaming until somebody wakes you from your dream. When you can finally convince an entity or keep their consciousness on you long enough, you have to keep their attention span because they're in a dream. Once you can get it clear to them or make some sense to them, somehow, some way, whether you talk to them emotionally or you talk to them verbally, which still is emotion for you uh, to some degree, you can get them to snap out of it. If they... Awaken out of their dream, not only do they remember who they are, but they remember all their lives, and it's a frequency. I often say like a bottle thrown in the ocean is moved in currents to its destination. There are energies moving through time and space that when you die as an energy or a ghost or spirit, if you're not very strong, they kind of move you also in, in different directions. So you kind of know what you need to do. It kind of just makes sense to you. It's like knowing to breathe or gasping for air. You've been holding your, your breath for a long time. Why do entities choose abandoned houses sometimes or places that seem there'd be nobody there and it's like you always hear stories of being haunted? And The reason why most places that are abandoned is because ghosts sometimes or entities want to isolate themselves from human beings. They can feel human beings, but they can't communicate with them. They're frustrated trying to get their attention to communicate, so they isolate themselves because they are mad. They're just tired of trying to get out of this reality, and they're in a loop, or they just don't want to deal with human beings, or they're angry. So they, they find places of refuge from light, which would be a house or forest or a cave in some cases, but particularly houses, so that they can have refuge and they withdraw. And time is not the same for them, being that their energy. So what is a day for us feels like to them like a moment, a minute. They don't have a recollection of time. So it could be 100 years. They don't ponder on that 100 years. They're not old or decaying or feel physical pain because they're energy. So it's very different. It's hard for us to imagine that. It's a very different reality.
the question is, is that if I don't believe that most people have souls and when they die, their consciousness or energy goes into the Gaia mind and those that are spirits or ghosts, are they actually the same thing that if they are woken by someone saying, go to the light or they realize they're not dead and they have, they wake to their consciousness and energy being, do they get poof? Are they going to end up in the Gaia energy field or will they stay independent? Um, the answer is, the Gaia energy, no matter what, will take some. They already have to have some kind of soul previously evolved to be able to even remain as entities or spirits. I mean, the the whole idea of certain things is very absurd to me about ghosts and entities because even if you think about all the people who would have souls and would die, let's say the Gaia concept that I believe were becomes a higher conscious collective – is incorrect. And let's say that, you know, everybody has a soul, you reincarnate or, or what happens. I mean, there's such a mass population of people, you know, 6 billion people, and that changes every 10 years. If you would just calculate that if everybody was floating around that couldn't reincarnate into a body, because there's not really enough bodies to match <laughs> the amount of spirits that have lived, if you think about it, okay? You, you have to compound all the living people for thousands of years. If you compounded that, you have now trillions of entities, trillions and you only have six million bodies to be hanging around in it doesn't equate you could say well all the entities that are not reincarnated must be mingling around or doing their thing well there'd be so many entities you'd have to cut through them there would be billions do you understand it doesn't equate in my mind what equates to my mind is them becoming part of a greater consciousness and that makes more sense and being able to even say that if my grandmother dies, it's horrible to think that she doesn't have a soul. No. In my opinion, it's still a beautiful thing because her memory and her existence is not in vain. It's us not wanting to let it go again. Like I was saying earlier, it's our selfishness. Their life and their memory is still very much alive, every little piece of it. If you go to the Akashic Records or what I call the Gaia Minor into the Matrix and you choose – to find them, you can actually pull all these fragmented pieces of energy together again and, and have this being sit there and, and guide you. It often reminds me of Superman, and Superman in the first one grows up to be an adult, and he has these green things from his parents, and he throws them out in Antarctica in the movie, and they build this this kind of like place and he goes there and they hold all the memory and knowledge of his parents and so they the parents show up and there are holograms and he talks to them and they teach him and whatever but it's not really them but it's the essence of them it's the same thing it's the essence of every living being is still forever existing it's just not in the terms that we might want it to be but it's still just as profoundly amazing it's as if their soul is always here. It's just part of something much bigger. The difference is, is that we see ourselves individual and we don't want to lose our individuality. And this is the difference where I say there's white souls and then there's red cells. And the white cells are people who really worked in their energy to become independent beings and keep evolving versus other people who didn't really work on it very hard. And they become part of what I call the Gaia consciousness and all of their memories become that. I mean, is there not a song that lives in your head and every memory of your life still alive in you, you're a microverse of that. You're a microverse of the Gaia mind in a way. All of the things you've ever experienced, all of the people you've ever loved or known are still very much alive within you. You just think that the only way you can reach them is through your touch, your smell, your taste, and that's not the case. But right now, that's the only way you can understand. So that's the only thing that you, you know, insist on interpreting it by. 
A lot of people ask us, where is the best place to start with our courses and material? The fundamental backbone of everything in our catalog is the Foundation Meditation System. This is a unique meditation technique geared to the purpose of absorbing prana, stimulating key regions of the body that enhance sensory development, and allow one to tap into a source of unbridled spiritual energy. Foundation meditation can be learned in our book, Meditation Within Eternity, or you can visit our website, foundationmeditation.com, to acquire the audio course. Again, that's foundationmeditation.com. Each of Eric's books comes with a secure readers-only section online that contains a treasure trove of complimentary free training material. When you add up all the free training you get with each book, you have a combined total value of over $1,000 in additional content. This includes classes, guided meditation exercises, and more. Digital and physical copies are available at higherbalancebooks.com. Order the set on discount now, and we'll also send you a free guru deck in the mail for physical orders. Again, that's higherbalancebooks.com. Go there now, order your set, and join the growing movement of spiritual adepts. Follow us on Instagram at Higher Balance Institute, all one word. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes and leave a positive review to help others like yourself find this knowledge. If you would like to support this podcast, please visit our online store at higherbalance.com. Meditation. It's more than just relaxation. There are different kinds of meditation, just like there are different tools to do a job. Finding the right kind of meditation will decide whether you awaken or whether you just simply drift. Energy. More than just a thought, but of movement that you can literally feel through your body. Visions. More than a faded idea within your consciousness, but rather a vivid reality so clear it'll make you question reality itself. Meditation, if used properly, will show you how to move the currents of your mind into a better life, a more prosperous life, consciousness expanding, memory improvement, inner balance, higher balance. Most of all, discover who and what you are and what you can do. Join us at Higher Balance Institute. We'll help change your world. Thank you for listening to Rebel Guru Radio.